good morning. Happy Father's Day. want to uh, welcome those of you who are joining us right now from the chapel or the warehouse or an off-site campus or on the internet, wherever you happen to be. We're glad that you're here. Listen, here's an idea. Why don't we just celebrate Father's Day four times a year? Huh? It's a great day, isn't it? I mean, four times a year you could buy your dad socks or underwear, you know, which is what we usually get, you know, something like that. Some of you may not have purchased a Father's Day gift yet, so I thought in order just to be a full-service church just to help you out there. So I was cruising the internet this week for some creative types of gifts. How about this? For 1995, rather than just a tie, you could have a pillow tie. I think we've got it. There it is. It's a, it's a blow-up inflatable pillow tie. Or maybe if dad is a little bit more of a geek, kind of a deal, kind of like me, for $5.99 you can get a plunger iPhone stand. And that's kind of multi-use, kind of cool, I thought. Or maybe, maybe if he's not into like fixing things in the house, how about cufflinks, like cufflinks? See the like? Yeah, it was lame, but I thought it was pretty cool. And uh, then for uh, maybe he's more of an outdoorsman type, how about some uh, deer antler toilet paper holders? <laughs> kind of cool. In the theme, keeping the same theme of toilet, how about this? How about a... Um, a giant toilet mug to drink out of. Thought that was neat. That's fourteen ninety-five. <clears throat> or in, in kind of the same thing, how about a desk organizer? Kind of a toilet desk organizer. I don't know what it is about toilets and Father's Day. You don't see that stuff at Mother's Day. Or <laughs> one more, how about a hairbrush for bald men? This is nine ninety-five. Not bad. Felt brush like. That's good stuff. Okay. That was dumb, but it was fun. Um, more important question than what you are getting for your father for Father's Day is, is what did you get from your dad? What did you get from your dad? We all got something from our dad. I was driving the other day, and I looked at my hands, and I thought, those are dad's hands. <laughs> the older I get, the more... I notice things about myself that are dad. Did dad give you some things? I called dad and talked to him a little bit. Maybe it's, uh, you look in the mirror and you see dad's ears or nose. Maybe that's not a good thing. I don't know. Or maybe you got dad's sense of humor. You know, every once in a while you go, that's dad. He, he would have said that or he does say those things. Or maybe it's a habit, you know, uh, good or bad. You know, the way, the way you stand, you know, the way you greet people, whatever it happens to be, you go, dad did that. Or maybe it's a spiritual thing that he gave you. I'm so grateful that my dad passed down his faith to us. He really did. Uh, so many times growing up, you know, I had a lot of friends who their dads were in ministry, and they didn't want anything to do with being pastors, either because, you know, the church was mean, you know, their dad at some point, or, or maybe their dad just wasn't the same, you know, in, in church as he was at home. And, and I'm grateful. My dad, um, in so many ways, and I don't have time to tell stories this morning, I've got a lot I want to get to, pass down a spiritual heritage to us. Well, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to talk to dads today, but we're going to conclude our series uh, on Love Is. I've got to tell you, I've loved this series. This has been so much fun, taking 1 Corinthians and just kind of walking every week, verse by verse. This is our 11th week. Who knew there were 11, 11 weeks worth of stuff in 1 Corinthians 13? And uh, this is last week, and we're going to take a look at 
verse 13, kind of the capsule of the whole um, chapter. So would you, if you have an outline sheet, uh, wherever you happen to be, would you read aloud uh, with me? Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. The greatest is love. Now, I know the context of this whole um, chapter 13 is spiritual gifts. In chapter 12, chapter 14, talks all about spiritual gifts. It talks about what they are. It talks about the abuse of them, that their church was abusing them. Sometimes churches don't even want to talk about spiritual gifts because of the potential abuse. And that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, no, if you'll do it in love, if you'll serve one another with your spiritual gifts in love, it all works. And that's what 1 Corinthians 13 is. It's kind of a chapter between two chapters on spiritual gifts and says, here's how you love each other. I know that's the context, and what I want to do is I want to make it more specific today to dads. I'm going to talk to the men in the, in the audience, and, I, and unabashedly, this is a sermon for men. Ladies, I'm glad you're here. I think you'll get something out of it. I really do, but there's going to be some testosterone flowing in here today. This is for men. I want to talk to the dads. I want to talk to the sons, and I want to talk to you about how we can apply faith, hope, and love to who we are. And uh, sermon's simple, okay? If you want to fill in the blanks, Dad, give your sons faith, give your sons hope, give your daughters love, and sons and daughters. That's it. If you want to fill in the blanks, it's there. Simple. How many of you know that simple isn't always easy, okay? And so today I'm going to ask that the Lord will help us to take some hard truths, and this isn't beat up dad week. Have you ever been to Father's Day messages where it's kind of beat up dad? That's not what this is at all. What I want to do is I want to give you some practical handles on how we can apply faith, hope, and love in our relationships, especially our relationships with our kids. So let's jump in. Uh, three things that, and three gifts that fathers can give their kids on Father's Day and throughout the year is this. Number one, give them faith. Give them faith. The impact of a father's faith is great. In study after study, the absence of fathers is linked to adverse outcomes. Uh, increased crime. We see that all the time in our communities, linked to absentee fathers. Um, Substance abuse, dropping out of school. Lauren Marks, professor of human ecology at LSU, said this, religious beliefs and practice play a critical role in how men relate to their children. In fact, here's what he did. He studied 130 families, Christian, Jewish, Mormon, Muslim, and he, and he, um, he came, came up with three outcomes from his study. And here's what he said. Number one, married couples who are actively involved in the same faith tend to have stronger, happier marriages. And this impacts father-child relationships in a positive way. There's a lot to that. We, um, if you get married here at Seacoast, we ask that you go through premarital counseling. In fact, we, we, we probably won't, uh, you know, won't do the... the um, the service unless we have just a few weeks of premarital counseling. One of the important things is that you're kind of tracking the same uh, in your view of God. And one of the reasons is because the outcome on your kids is huge. And this study kind of, kind of, you know, uh, justifies that. Second thing he says is that religious fathers are far less likely to abuse alcohol and other drugs than non-religious fathers uh, and an estimated 80% of child abuse is alcohol-related. And then the third factor is the belief that fathers will be personally accountable to God for their good or bad fathering. This creates a sacred motivation 
to be a better father. Not a guilt motivation, sacred motivation that says, you know what, I have a father who loves me and I will be accountable for him for how I treat his kids who he's entrusted to me and the grandkids as he's entrusted to me. And he says, it's this factor that sets religious life apart as a maker of better fathers. So as we talk about how we pass on our faith, let me talk just for a minute. Let me give you a little history about the responsibility of fathers uh, from the time that God gave the covenant uh, to Israel and chose Israel as a covenant people, and he gave the law. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, which the, um, the Jewish faith calls the Shema, it's, it's the most important kind of verse or declaration within the Jewish faith. In Deuteronomy 6, 4, it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Then he says, here's your responsibility. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. He says, the commandments that I've given you, it's a responsibility of the father to teach the children. Now, rabbis down through the years have... have, uh, have written commentaries. It's called the Talmud. And it's a, a commentary on Hebrew scripture. And the commentary on what a father's responsibilities are, they kind of took this verse and took all of the law, responsibilities of the father, and they said for a, a father in Jewish times, in Old Testament times, these were the five things that they were responsible for. Number one, circumcise your sons. Circumcise your sons on the eighth day. Number two, um, uh, redeem your firstborn son. Uh, you know, if you, read, if you read the law, we're to put God first in everything. And there were, you know, it's, it's one thing to say, okay, God's first, he's number one in my life. But God said, I want you to, to do active things that will, that will help you in carrying through on your commitment. And it was an agrarian society, so he said, I want you to take the first part of your grain, 10% of your grain, that comes your harvest, and I want you to sacrifice and give it to me. I want you to take the firstborn of all of your animals, and I want you to sacrifice them to me. And I want you to take the firstborn of your home, your firstborn son, and I want you to give them to me. Now, um, sometimes you may feel like sacrificing your firstborn, but there's a better way. He said either in... Um, Robert Morris, who came and taught us uh, here a few months ago about the blessed life, he said with the, with the first tenth or the first, firstborn or whatever, the first part of everything, God commands us either to sacrifice it or redeem it. We, we give it to God, sacrifice it, or redeem it. And redeem it just means to buy back. And that's what he was saying uh, about the responsibility of father was to redeem the firstborn son. And so they would take the son to the temple and they would offer him before the Lord, and they would bring an offering for redemption, which was five shekels, which uh, equals two ounces of silver, or in today's economy, it would be $60. So your firstborn was worth one day's wages at minimum wage today, or one uh, fill-up of your gas tank, about $60, or a night for two at the movies if one of you stays home. Okay, So that's kind of, that's kind of how... You redeem your, your son. I thought that was funny. Anyway, so, uh, so he circumcised his son. He's responsible for the redemption 
of his son. And the second, or the third thing is to teach his son the Torah. Now the Torah is what? It's the first five books of the Bible, the books of law. And it was the responsibility of the father, not the rabbi, the father, to teach his son. In fact, the sons would memorize the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, by the time they were bar mitzvah, and that was the responsibility of the father. And then he was to assure that he marries. That's his fourth responsibility, to assure that his son marries. wasn't like today where you, you, know, you send him off to college and uh, you get him a membership to Match.com and say, you know, knock yourself out. In those days, dad actually picked out the spouse, and that was part of his responsibility, was to make sure that his son marries. And then the fifth thing was to teach him a trade to teach him a trade. In fact, the rabbi said, if you don't teach him a trade, you'll teach him how to steal. You'll make a robber out of him. And the point I wanted to make was that fathers were expected to be very involved with their children, especially their sons at that time. Now, the role of the father has decreased the more secularized our society has become. Actually, the role of the father uh, uh, maintained a strong involvement probably until about the last 70 years. And then things uh, have definitely changed. In fact, in my father's generation, I was thinking about that, men worked, okay? Um, the, the men who were the greatest generation, the World War II men, kept emotions kind of close to their heart, didn't say they loved their sons or daughters a lot, even though they did love them. And they expressed their responsibility through work, worked hard, work hard, work hard. In fact, moms kind of took responsibility for the spiritual aspect of it. Moms kind of took the kids to church, made sure that they had a solid spiritual foundation. It was your mom that prayed with you at, at night, you know, if they did, when they put you to bed. And so kind of responsibilities changed. Now, my generation, um, it changed even more. The role of women, men and women changed. Uh, in the 1960s was the sexual revolution, which changed everything. And then in the 1970s was the women's liberation movement, which changed roles a lot. Some of them needed to. Some, some roles, uh, there was a devaluing of women and some roles needed to change. But you put it all together and my generation has given an increased divorce rate. If you took the divorce rate from 70 years ago and the divorce rate maybe from the 10 years ago, uh, it's incredible. The difference is it's just escalated tremendously. And in the last several years, we've seen a decrease in, in marriages. Uh, more and more people saying, we don't need to marry. And there's been an impact on families from that. There's been uh, an increase of absentee fathers. We've talked about that. And that's a little bit of what my generation has given to the whole thing. But there's a new trend that I'm excited about. Very exciting. First of all, female children are more valued than ever. If you'll notice, a lot of the Old Testament teaching was fathers to their sons. Well, where's their daughters? Well, their daughters in the society that they lived in, not in God's sight, in the society that they lived in, daughters were very, very little more than just property, okay? And women were very little more than just property. In fact, God gives value to women uh, where it needs to be, but society's taken a long time to catch up, and now there is, there's incredible value placed on daughters. Dads, your daughter could grow up and be president. Your daughter has all kinds of opportunities. I think that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And then there is, a, these days, it's cool to be a dad again. It really is. I've told my sons, I've told you, that um, I feel like my sons are much better fathers than I was. 
I was not as involved with the kids as, as they are. Dads are, and it's just a cool thing for dads to be taking an active role with the kids. So I think things are getting better. Now here's three things. I want to give you just practical stuff that you can do for every one of these. Uh, And for the faith part, here's three practical things dads can do to pass their faith to their sons and to their daughters. And they're all going to rhyme. It's really geeky, but that's who I am, okay? Just, Just helps me. Number one is educate. Educate. I want to challenge every man in this place to have a regular rhythm of studying the story of God. Studying the story of God. I'm going I'm to make an admission to you here. Up until just a few years ago, I was not very good at this. I, I studied the story of God in the sense that I have to preach every weekend or most weekends. And I love it. And I love studying God's word. And I would study God's word in preparation for, for preaching. And go deep into it, and how can I make it simple, and that type of thing. And I love doing that, and I've done it for all the years that I've been the pastor here. But as far as a regular, consistent, outside of that study time, it's like I consider that just like you going to work. You do your job, I do my job. And outside of that job, I'm not very consistent, haven't been very consistent. Part of it's my personality. How many of you are normal like me and your starters, not finishers? Anybody in here? Okay. And so, and, so, and so I'm just a mess. Debbie will tell you what a mess I really am. She, don't ask her because she will tell you. She tells the truth. But as far as consistency, you know, and if you had to put me in front of a computer and do just data entry, if that was my job, it would drive me crazy. That's just not who I'm wired up to be. And so I had a hard time having a consistent time other than my study time of just, you know, a consistent time every day with the Lord. And, and just a few years ago, I felt like the Lord saying to me, that's what I want from you. I, I, I want to spend more time with you. And so I tried to do Bible study, you know, through the Bible and all that, and had been frustrated by it. And so I figured out some things. And for a few years now, I've been very consistent in my time with God. And it's been a great thing. It's been uh, something that really has um, um, dynamically um, improve my understanding of who God is to me personally. And so I want to challenge you, I'm going to tell you what I do. I do it first, okay? I take time to study first. I, I, before I do emails, and I, I, I do, you know, hundreds of emails, before I look at the news, I read a couple newspapers a day and, you know, just look at uh, Sports Center. And uh, before anything else, before anything else, I have my time with God and, and do some Bible study. Why first? See if you relate to this. If I did it second, I might not get to it. Or third. You guys don't like that? You, you want to do something. Okay, I'm going to do that. But you're doing this, and then you get off on this bunny trail, and this leads to something else, and you get to the end of the day, and you go, what was it that I was going to do? You know. So I do it first. That's one reason. Second reason is because there is a blessing, a promise of blessing in doing it first. Matthew 6.33 says this. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Some versions just say, seek first God's kingdom. Seek first God's kingdom. Do the God stuff first. Seek God first and there is promise that says he'll add everything that you need. And for years and years and years, Debbie and I have done that in our finances. The very first, when we get a paycheck, from here or somewhere else, first thing we do is write a check. We're still old school check deal. A lot of you guys are online. That's the best way to do, and we're going to get there 
probably in the next 10 to 15 years. But right now, we write a check. She writes it. And it's the first check we write. Try to write it the first check we write to give 10% of our income back to God. We do that because we know there's a blessing on that. Well, there's a blessing on giving, making God first in any area of your life. You make God first in your relationships, he promises to bless it. You make God first in your time, give him the first part of your time, and he'll bless it. And so that's one of the reasons why I do it first. And the second thing that's helped me is to do it consistently, is to kind of have a, a, a consistent pattern. Now, if you use an analog Bible, just a regular Bible, one way to do it consistently is to put it in the bathroom, and that's all I'm going to say about that. If you do an online deal, um, I would encourage you to go uh, download a Bible. Here's a great Bible. It's free. The reason it's free is because some very wealthy people have backed it and said, we want this to be available to everybody. It's called YouVersion. Some of our friends in Oklahoma City created it, and it's just about the most downloaded program on iPhone or Android, millions and millions and millions. And you can go in there, and you can get little um, um, uh, study, uh, what, what do I want to call them? Ways to, to read, you know, consistent Bible study, okay? I know the first one I ever did was uh, um, through the Bible, um, chronologically. And, you know, you may want to bite that off for your first one, but probably not. I can remember getting up some mornings and going, I got 16 chapters to go through today. Wow you know, and I'd skim. Anybody else skim? Oh, here's one, and all that. I'm not sure that really does what you want to do. You check the box, but I'm not sure sure you connect with God. You know, you can do all kinds of things. If you're a, especially if you're in business or a father, I would recommend reading the Proverbs. Uh, One a day. Do it with the day of the Proverbs. There is so much wisdom. Wow. I don't think I could do my, my job at what I do without having the wisdom of the Proverbs. Or you can take one book. I'm, uh, I, I've gone through the Gospels a couple of times this year, just so I want to I study who Jesus is because he's the model. And then the next thing you do is become accountable. Become accountable. Maybe a men's group or maybe a group of friends. I had to go public with it, so I do mine on Facebook. I do 140 characters or less. I call it Twitter Bible study. And I post one thing I'm learning that day. What's one thing I learned that day? And I posted on Facebook. So if you see me post on Facebook, you know that was me. I, nobody else posted that for me. I do it, and I do it fresh from that day. If you don't see me post on Facebook, you should get a life, if that's what you're trying to do. Judge me. You should get a life. <laughs> Not really. But it's probably, it's probably because either there wasn't uh, Internet access for wherever I was, or I just didn't do it that day. Now, let me tell you about that. Here's what I've discovered. If you don't do it every day, guess what? God doesn't love you one ounce less than if you did it every day. So don't get into a legalistic thing. Don't get into a legalistic thing. God loves you just as much today regardless of whether you do your Bible study or this, that, or the other. God declared his love for you in Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for all of your sins, all of your unfaithfulness, all of everything. God has forgiven it. Don't worry about it. It's okay. But here's what I've learned. I've learned that when I'm consistent with my study, God doesn't love me more, but I I love him more. I just get to know him better. Let me give you a real fresh one, okay, from today, from today. So this past week, one of the things I did this week was on Monday and Tuesday, I spoke in Springfield, Missouri, to the, the, the top officials of the denomination that I grew up in. And then I spoke to about 800 of their staff in uh, chapel meetings. And it was an incredible honor, just an unbelievable honor. But I've got, I've got to tell you this. As I was getting ready to stand up and speak, I thought, who are you? 
to be doing this. I know who I am. There are, there are people that are much brighter, much more studied, who speak better, who deserve to be in the place that I am right now. And I'm thinking that on the front row of that, of that, of that uh, when I'm getting up ready to speak. Now, I'm not sure that that thought from, came from God. I could probably put horns on it and know where it came from. But that's what I was thinking. And then this week, as soon as um, the service is over, I'm going to go have some time with my family. And then tonight I'm flying out to Portugal to uh, meet with the pastors of some of the largest churches in Europe, Anglican churches and uh, non-denominational churches and a few Pentecostal churches, and uh, all, all week long. And then I'll, I'll be back on, um, on, on Friday night this week because I don't want to miss this weekend. This weekend, Christine Kane is going to be with us. She will rock the house. You need to be here. And then there's this huge event on Sunday night. I'm going to be there. Love for you guys to come. Just supporting um, uh, um, the, the elimination of sex slavery uh, in our time. How do you think that's a good cause? I think that's a good cause. And uh, if you can at all be there, I challenge you to be there. But anyway, so, so I'm going to Portugal. And this morning I'm thinking this. Why are you going? There are, there are so many people who know more than you. They want me to come talk about multi-site and church planning. There, there are people that do it better, know more, all of this kind of, This is what I was thinking this morning when I got up. This was my Bible study. This was in my Bible. I didn't go searching for this. This was in my Bible study today. It's 2 Corinthians 3, 5. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. Wow. That was like, Father, God, thank you. I love you more, you know, and that, that's a regular, does that happen every day? No, something happens every day, but periodically there are these like God moments when you spend time with God and you just love him more. So I want to challenge every guy in passing on your faith to educate. I'm taking too long. The second word is associate real quickly. Um, tie everything you can with your kids from daily life to your faith. It says when you sit at home, when you're on the road, when you lie down, sitting at home watching a television program, and something objectionable comes on, Charlie Sheen, and, and you go, and anything he's in, and, and, you go, and you go, should I turn this off? And That might be a good thing to do. But maybe you want to just watch it, and then maybe you want to sit with your kids afterwards and, and say, okay, what if everybody acted like that? What, what if every relationship was, how does that violate our faith? Or what, what are the positive things that we can see in there? Those are ways you can, I actually did this better than anything else with my kids in passing on my faith, just looking every day at little situations and going, oh, that guy reacted like that. Now, how, how does that impact, how, what's going to happen if that goes on? What's going to happen if that behavior continues on when somebody gets married? What's going to go on with that? So just in everyday stuff, when you pray with them at night, when you talk in the car, just associate it with, with your faith. Number three is celebrate. Celebrate. Um, tie, tie your faith to every celebration you can. We had a, um, there were a group of us that went to Israel just a few months ago, two months ago. We're going to do it again next year. Love for some of you to go. Just life-changing trip. And so we got together again kind of as a reunion on Friday night this week, and we had a Seder dinner, which is normally a Passover deal. It was so cool. About two or three hours. We sat there and we ate, but there was symbolism in every piece of food that tied back to the deliverance of Israel from Egypt and God's working through that. And the Jewish people, I mean, we, we uh, had a meal I told you guys about 
several times, a, sa- a Shabbat dinner, a Sabbath meal with some of our Jewish friends here in town. And I was just so incredibly uh, challenged by how they pass it down to their kids through celebrating food, eating together. And I'm trying to get with some of my far smarter friends and come up with a liturgy that will help us putting Jesus into meals and things. And hopefully in the next year or two, we'll be able to kind of establish something like that. But celebrate, even the, the holidays, it's easy on Easter and Christmas, dads, to kind of step up and read the story or whatever. I want to challenge you even to do it on 4th of July that's coming up. What do we celebrate 4th of July? Freedom. How about dad, before we do all this stuff, cooking out and stuff, or while you're cooking out, just, just take just a minute. I mean, you don't have to preach a sermon. You're not any good at it anyway. That's why I do it. Just, just, a, just a minute, just a minute to explain to your kids, you know what, we live in a free country and freedom is so good. And you know what, our real freedom comes from Jesus Christ who has set us free. And tie it together with the celebrations that you have, okay? Just little things like that. Passing on your faith. Dad, pass along your faith. Okay, let's go to number two. Give them hope. Second, second gift you give them is the power of hope. Now, the New, New Testament concept of hope is different than ours. Let me explain it this way. This past weekend, before I went to Springfield, I spoke in Minneapolis, Minnesota, at one of our art churches, association-related churches, uh, and we planted this church. It's doing great. Uh, several thousand people in Minneapolis reaches a lot of college kids. So I spoke there, and, um, and I spoke on Saturday night, Sunday morning, spoke to their staff on Sunday night and Monday morning, But in between, and listen, I didn't plan it this way. This was just a gift from God. The Cubs were playing the Twins in Minnesota. And so so they took me to a a Cubs-Twins game. You got to understand how big this game was. The Cubs are the worst team in the NFL. The Twins are the worst team, or NFL, NL, whatever. (laughs) The Twins are the worst team in the other league. So it was the best of the worst, okay? And the day I went on Sunday afternoon, the Cubs won. Now, the Twins won the other two games, so it was just that one. And I, I'd like to believe the reason the Cubs won is because I seek God first and I bring the blessing and favor of God <laughs> wherever I come. And so, and so one of the guys there asked me, knew I was a big Cubs fan, he, said, he asked me this question. He said, do you believe that the Cubs will ever win the World Series? And you need to know, they haven't won the World Series in 104 years. Anybody can have a bad uh, century. How many of you know that? And so here's what I said. My answer to him was, I sure hope so. I hope they win in my lifetime. Now, when we say hope, we say it like this. I wrote it down so I could get it right. When we say hope, we typically think about it like this. It's a desire for some future thing for which we are uncertain of attaining. Future, I hope the Cubs win, but I'm uncertain whether that'll ever happen. I hope I get this job advancement. I hope the business does well, but I'm uncertain as to whether it ever will. Do you understand that? Now, in the New Testament, it's different. In in the New Testament, hope is the full assurance or strong confidence that God is going to do something good to us in the future. In 1 Peter 1 and verse 13, it says this, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. 
He says, I want you to do this. I want you to set your hope on something that you can be assured of. And here it is. It's on Jesus Christ and the fact that Jesus is going to come again. That Jesus is coming to set all the scales right. That Jesus is coming to receive his family and his people. That Jesus is coming and sin is going to be abolished. That Jesus is coming and we are going to literally live happily ever after. Because Jesus is coming. And he said, I want you to set your hope on that. In other words, not, will it happen? No, it's going to. He said, set your hope on the fact that God loves you. Set your hope on the fact that God has good plans for you. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, he says, I know the plans that I have for you. They're plans to prosper you and help you and to give you hope and a future. Hope and a future. It's not, well, I hope that's going to happen. No, it's I hope it's going to happen because I have my, my faith set on this is going to be. That's the difference in hoping on the Cubs winning the World Series and hoping on Jesus coming again someday and hoping on God loving me today. No, my hope is assured in that. And dads, that is what we're to model for our kids is a positive outlook on life is a hope-filled life. Let me give you three ways to protect your hope. Just little things. Start your day in hope, number one. Start your day in hope. Um, Psalm says this, what you could do in your shower. But as for me, I will sing about your power. Don't be singing around people. Just do it in your shower. I will sing about your power. Each morning I will sing with joy about your unfailing love, for you have been my refuge and a place of safety when I'm in distress. And some guys are going... Greg, let's get real. Dudes don't sing. Really. You know who wrote that? David. David was a dude. Okay? He was a bad dude. He was a warrior dude. He was a guy that if you weren't on his team, you did not want to see him coming. Because he might, he might just get you. And David says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sing of the goodness of the Lord. What do you sing? I remember growing up in church, one of the songs we used to sing is this. You ever heard this one? I'm not going to sing it. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. I hope on Jesus. My hope is not on the economy. My hope is not on my job. My hope is not even on whether I'm getting along with my wife and kids right now. How do you know there are some days... That's all, I'll leave it. That's it right there. My hope isn't built on that. My hope is built on Jesus Christ, on his righteousness, on the promise of of his soon coming. See, what if you started every day with the thought, God is for me, and if he is, who can be against me? Do you think you'd have a hope-filled day? What if your song in the shower wasn't, all my exes live in Texas? But it was one of the songs that we sing when we worship together about the goodness of God. Start your day in hope. Here's how you can protect hope. Practice gratitude. Practice gratitude. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks sometimes. No, that's the revised substandard perversion. Here's the real thing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The other day, I, I was... My mind had wandered to something that was kind of irritating. And um, I was dwelling on it. And I felt the Spirit of the Lord say to me, count your blessings. So I took my iPad and I got a fresh sheet and I numbered 1 to 20 and then I filled it up. I'm blessed because of this. This is a blessing. 
Remember the old song, Count Your Blessings? Name them one by one. That's what I was doing, count my blessings. And by the time I got to 20, and I, I could have gone to 25 or 50, but 20 was enough because my whole attitude changed. From an attitude of entitlement and what am I not getting, I had an attitude of gratitude that God has blessed me. That's how you protect hope. Gratitude has a power of impact, your outlook on life. As you focus more on what you're grateful for in your life, even the really small blessings, then you will worry less about anything that you may be lacking. Third thing you do to protect hope is to go treasure hunting occasionally. Go treasure hunting. Try to make a daily habit to search for the positive side of everything. I love being around people like that, don't you? People who see the good in even the little bitty things. In the challenging circumstances, be a, be a, be a treasure hunter. Philippians 4.8 says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Here's a thought the Lord just planted in my heart. There are some of you fathers that have a hard time praising your kids. It's just, it's just you know, it's, it's kind of like this. Well, when they do something praiseworthy, I'll, I'll, I'll praise them. Why don't you go treasure hunting? God's saying to you today, you need to dig. You need to treasure hunt. You need to not wait until there's this thing that anybody could notice. You need to go in and see the little things and, and uh, instill faith and hope in your kids. Let me give you one more thing, and it's the most important thing. Give them love. Give them love. Um, John Piper um, recently read or wrote an article about a missionary named... John G. Patton. John G. Patton um, grew up in uh, Scotland, and he was a missionary in the South Seas, the islands, in the 1800s. And um, he wrote a book, he wrote several books, but he wrote one book about the impact that his father had on him. He loved his father deeply. His father's love transformed his life. His father's courage, he thought his father was the most courageous man uh, that he'd ever met. And uh, Piper writes about him in this article. Let me, let me just read a little bit of it. R- writes about one of the books that he wrote. One, one scene best captures the depth of love between John and his father and the power of the impact on John's life of uncompromising courage and purity. The time came for the young Patton to leave home and go to Glasgow to attend divinity school and become a city missionary in his early 20s. From his hometown of Torthawald to the train station in another town I can't pronounce. It was a 40-mile walk. Think about that. Go catch the train. How far do I have to walk to catch the train? 40 miles. Boy, your kids are soft, aren't they? 40 miles. He says, 40 years later, Patton wrote this. My dear father walked with me the first six miles of the way. His counsel and tears and heavenly conversation on that parting journey are fresh in my heart as if it had been but yesterday. The tears are on my cheeks as freely now as then, whenever memory steals me away to the scene. For the last half mile or so, we walked on together in almost unbroken silence. My father, as was often his custom, carrying his hat in his hand while his long flowing yellow hair, then it was yellow, but years later it was as white as snow, streamed like a girl's down onto his shoulder. His lips kept moving in silent prayer for me, and his tears fell fast when our eyes met each other in looks for which all speech was in vain. We halted on reaching the appointed parting place, and he grasped my hand firmly and for a minute in silence, and then solemnly and affectionately said, 
God bless you, my son. Your father's God prosper you and keep you from all evil. Unable to say more, his lips kept moving in silent prayer. In tears we embraced and parted. I ran off as fast as I could and went about to turn a corner in the road where he would lose sight of me. I looked back and saw him still standing with his head uncovered where I'd left him gazing after me. Waving my hat in adieu, I rounded the corner and out of sight in an instant. But my heart was too full and sore to carry me further, so I darted into the side of the road and wept for a time. And then rising up cautiously, I climbed the dike to see as he yet stood where I had left him. And just at that moment, I caught a glimpse of him climbing the dike and looking out for me. But he did not see me. And after he gazed eagerly in my direction for a while, he got down, set his face toward home, and began to return, his head still uncovered, and his heart, I felt sure, still rising in prayers for me. I watched through blinding tears till his form faded from my glaze, and then hastening on my way, vowed deeply and oft that by the help of God to live and to act so as never to grieve or dishonor such a father and mother as God had given me. You know, the impact of a father's faith, a father's hope, and a father's love is immeasurable. As we come down to the end of this series, I wanted to take a moment and just review what love is. And I want to do it in this way. My grandfather was the second person in my family to come to know Jesus. My grandmother was first. You've heard me tell the story, and it's in my book, how my grandfather came to know Jesus. He was a hardworking man. He was a bootlegger, and he did well at it. But he was a mean man, and he came to Jesus. And when he did, he led his family to the Lord. Not long after he came to the Lord, he started preaching. He didn't go to seminary. He probably should have. He took the model of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. When Paul came to a saving knowledge of Jesus, he began immediately to share in the synagogues what he knew. The little bit that he knew. Didn't know a lot, but he began to share it. That's what my grandfather did. He began to preach. He began to open little bitty churches all around Oklahoma where he lived. Now, I used to love listening to my grandfather preach. And uh, he would always, uh, when he would read scripture, he had such a reverence for God's word that he would always have a stand at the beginning of the service and we would read the scripture uh, together. And that's what I'd like us to do now. Would you stand together with me as I honor the patriarch of my home and as I honor our Father God? I'd like you to take your Bibles or your outline sheet, or you can do it on the screen if you'd like. And I'd like to read the chapter that we've studied for the last 11 weeks. As we read, some of the lessons may jump out at you. Some of the things, or maybe you just want to thank God for his love, or maybe you want to listen to it in light of what we've talked about today. But let's read it together. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but did not love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, And if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous 
or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love lasts forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Dad, I know this. I know that you can give your kids a lot of things. You can give them money. You can give them an education. You can give them a home to live in. But nothing that you can give your kids is greater than faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this wonderful group of people, men and women, dads, moms, grandpas, grandmas, sons, daughters, aunts, uncles, friends. God, I just pray that in these next few moments as we submit our hearts to you for evaluation, that you would just give us a spirit of honesty and integrity. As we ask you, God, what are you saying to me? And what do I do about it? God, I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, Dad, the greatest gift, Mom, the greatest gift, son or daughter, the greatest gift that you could give to your family is the gift of knowing that you have received the love of the Father through Jesus Christ. That you've come to a place where you've said, I want to be a part of God's family. I want to live forever with my family in God's family. Some of you, some of you honestly, if you were to examine yourself, some of us would say, I'm not there. Maybe you've never made a commitment to God. Or maybe you made a commitment to God at one point, and for whatever reason, you kind of walked away. Maybe it was circumstances, maybe it was disappointment, maybe you just got too busy. But for whatever reason, there's distance between you and God. I want to pray for you today. I had the most amazing thing happen in the foyer just a few minutes ago after the last service. A husband came up to me. He had tears in his eyes. And he said, I want to tell you something. My wife came to know Jesus today. And then she came over and we had a great conversation together. 
I thought, what a great Father's Day he's going to have. The greatest thing you could do is to commit your life to him today. I want to do something I don't normally do here. I want you to bow your heads if you would. We do that, everybody in this place. Just shut yourself in with God. If I'm talking to you right now, you say, you know what? I feel distant from God. Or maybe I've never really committed my life to him. Maybe I've walked away from a commitment. Maybe I'm far from where I need to be. Would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you. We all over this auditorium, just raise your hand. Okay, just raise your hand all over the auditorium. And take a minute. Yes. Uh, up in the balconies. Up in the balconies. Yes. Yes, okay. All right. Continue to raise your hand. I just want you to raise your hand. We do that? You're acknowledging, saying, I, I, t- pray for me today, Pastor. Okay. Pray for me. Pray for me. That's wonderful. That's awesome. You can put your hands down. I'm going to pray for you, and I want you to pray in your own way. And just say, God, I, I want to know you. I want to be a part of your family. I believe that Jesus Christ died for me. I don't understand all about it, but I believe it to be true. And today, I want to live forever with you. Be with my family forever with you. I want to be a Christ follower today. Father, I thank you. I thank you for those that are, that are making that step to follow you today. God, you love them more than they could ever know. God, I believe that this is going to be the beginning of just an incredible, incredible journey together with you. God, I'm grateful for that. I pray that you would seal that decision by the power of your Holy Spirit, according to your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen.